one of the superstars at the Republican National Convention in 2020 was Sister Dee Dee Byrne. Herself a medical doctor, in fact, she's a surgeon, and she was there and brought the house down talking about the right to life, talking about President Trump being the obvious pro-life alternative in the election. Well, Sister Dee Dee Byrne has done something else extremely controversial, and that is she has gone on the conference talking about stop the shot, stop this so-called vaccine. We're going to be speaking to Sister Dee Dee Byrne right now, so you're going to want to stay tuned. Sister Dee Dee Byrne, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the John Henry Weston Show. Thank you for the invitation. Let's begin, as we always do, with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Sister Didi, it is, uh, it's a pleasure for me to speak with you. Uh, I know that you've been working uh, for the right to life uh, in your ministry for a long time now. And one of the things that really took hold of the whole wide world, really, but much, uh, many, many of us in America, was uh, your speech at the Republican uh, National Congress uh, just last year. Uh, totally blew up the internet, as they say. Um, maybe we can start with that. What inspired you to go public like that? And what did you make of the reaction as well? There was no inspiration per se about going public. I just was in the chapel praying um, because... Uh, I was really worried about the what would happen if um, our pro-life movement and our message wasn't going to move forward. You know, if the administration that's in now was going to be in, and because there was so much rhetoric about the good Catholic uh, president that we have now in, and I was hearing a lot of things from the low level, from us little folks here on the ground. The people were accepting that. And I believe some of that was, I believe, from the COVID, what I call COVID cataracts. People were going to mass. They weren't um, being infused with with the, the Eucharist, which I feel is a critical and source of strength. So I was in the chapel. We've been blessed to have mass every day through a good part of COVID. In fact, the traditional Latin mass. I have to add that in. So I was in the chapel just really distraught. I was um, mad at myself. I said, Lord, I'm not doing enough for you. Help me be your voice for life. And I said, just like, I'm your girl. And about two hours later, I received a call from the White House asking if I would be willing to speak at the RNC. And I was a bit stunned. And because I, I believe in prayer, power of prayer, but this was one of the faster answers and I didn't really have any idea what this really meant. But uh, when they asked me and I said, I immediately said yes. I thought, well, I'll share with our mother general. We're traditional community. Our mother general is in Rome. Um, and I ordered it maybe like a child would to a parent that wants to really, you know, get their way. And I said, you know, and it was true. But I said, mother general, the White House has invited me to speak on life. And I forgot to mention that. They said, would you speak at the RNC? And I said, could I speak on the sanctity of life? <laughs> and they said, yes, you sure can. And so I called Mother General and I said, just want to let you know, the White House has invited me to speak on the sanctity of life. 
And she went, brava, brava. And then when it came out, um, well, the response initially was um, really evil. She called and she said, you know, we don't do public, we don't do political things. And I said, well, this was, um, I wrote a beautiful letter that I think was beautiful, translated in Italian because she is Italian. And I said, this is not a political issue. This is an issue of life and death. And she really accepted that. She said, I have the, really the greatest support uh, with her. And she said, you can continue your, your work with the uh, sanctity of life and speaking out wherever you're called, but just cannot do anything in a political arena, badmouth the president or anything. And we don't really, we just, we pray for him. So that's sort of how in the first 72 hours, we received so many calls at our convent here in D.C. I was amazed. There's four minutes on the air, and I just thought, I'm a dummy, really. I thought, oh, four minutes, no biggie. But I didn't realize that I had struck a chord. I think the devil was um, really PO'd when I did what I did, and I just held our Blessed Mother's rosary up. That You know, I could just see the winds blowing and the anger I, you know, zooting. And um, we received many, many first 72 hours, angry, angry calls. But to this day, I'm still getting people asking, thanking me for what I did. And I just said, I didn't do anything. I just prayed and God answered a prayer. And as I said at the RNC, you have to be careful how you, what you pray for because we don't have any idea. Um, but as as inadequate, I really feel I am as a speaker I, you know, I, I haven't said no to, to sharing what I believe is really, really, really important right now. And that is the foundation protecting the life of the unborn because everything else, maybe we'll go into it. So I'll stop talking, but everything else has come from that. If you can't support the unborn, we're, then everything else crumbles it actually reminds me of Mother Teresa when she went to America and spoke with, uh, you know, Bill and Hillary Clinton sitting there on stage. And she spoke about the right to life and about the horror of abortion in front of all of America. And people went absolutely crazy. And even to this day, those clips are replayed and replayed and replayed. And, you know, Mother was, as you were, responding to Jesus um, asking her to be a voice for the voiceless, a voice for the unborn, uh, is incredible. And the Lord, I'm the biggest sinner. So I'll say that with that. But we have to be in the state of grace. Um, and to be able to be able to hear and receive what Christ is asking us to do. So like Joan of Arc, when she was in that great battle, and then captured by the canon lawyers, and they said, you know, Joan, are you in the state of grace? They wanted to burn her come up with some excuse and she just her answer was a prayer she said lord if i'm in the state of grace please keep me there if i'm not please put me there and so i tell everyone it's you know our our mission is is to be that way so confession eucharist as often as you can pray for those who are persecuting us and the unborn so I encourage people, I've been promoting a, a rosary that was taught to me by some Floridians right after the RNC, the Patriotic Rosary. It's a beautiful rosary. Each state is a Hail Mary. And we play, pray for the, for the state of, of uh, New York. We pray for the, for the, for the uh, souls in the state 
and every soul in that state. So um, we place, I, I said that wrong. We place the blood of Jesus over the state of New York and every soul in that state and Hail Mary. And in the very first decade is for the president. We pray for his conversion. Oh, wow. So rather than fighting with, you know, frustration, we, we fight this battle because it's not a battle between, you know, uh, Republicans and Democrats or left and right or conservatives and, and liberals. This is a battle between our Lord and the devil. And I have to tell people, think about this. What side do you want to be on? Whose side do you want to be on? It harkens actually to uh, the debate that was going on in among the bishops uh, for the last year or so, and, and actually way back to 2004 even, um, over the issue of Holy Communion for pro-abortion politicians. And while it's seen by some of the bishops actually, uh, but I believe falsely so, as a political issue, I don't, I don't think it has anything to do with politics. In fact, if anything, it would so strengthen the uh, movement for life if the bishops took the counsel of the church seriously about the denying of Holy Communion for obstinate public grave sinners. But mother, I, our sister, sorry, I'd love to hear your take uh, on that question. Well, I agree with you a thousand percent. If we're not in a state of grace, we shouldn't receive our Lord. Okay. So, uh, if we're in a state of mortal sin, and you know they just reflect on the Ten Commandments, "Thou shalt not kill" is one of the lineage. And if we've been, if we're publicly uh, promoting, you know, we have to. People don't really. I don't think people believe that life is in the uterus and they is is not. It's not a human life in there. They must because they don't really seem to care. There's, we become dulled in that whole issue because. If we are promoting, if you're the abortionist, you're the a nurse working in the operating room, if you go to get the abortion, if you're the boyfriend driving or the cleaning lady who always wants to clean that area because she believes in that mission, you're in a sort of state of moral great, uh, sin. Anyone in a public pos- position who is promoting the murder and annihilation of infants in the womb is in, in great mortal danger. Excommunication, or not giving communion, I should say, is a form of chemotherapy. It's, it's a, it's a wake-up call to say, you know, so if you're a public figure, figure who says, you know, promotes this, you, should, you have to publicly, um, you know, confess. Because otherwise, so many people are going to be scandalized, for one thing. And we are not only the, the, the politician or whoever who promotes death in the womb, who is then receiving our Lord is doing a double whammy because they're promoting a, a murder, encouraging murder and promoting it. And yet, and they're also receiving our Lord in a very grave, their soul is in grave danger and they're not, you know, not prepared properly. And so many people will say, well, how do you know he doesn't, you know, go to the confession, say, Lord, I'm sorry, and then go on to confession. But if someone in a public figure needs to publicly, I believe, in my humble little thing, that it, it's a public confession. Sister, you have uh, spoken on this topic of abortion, which many people consider uh, very controversial indeed, especially your appearance at the RNC. Uh, but 
there is another issue that's perhaps today even more controversial. Um, it is related to abortion, and that's the issue of these COVID so-called vaccines. Uh, you appeared at the press conference for Truth for Health uh, with all of those very prominent doctors who are and, and lawyers and activists who are working to, as they said, stop the shot. Um, what motivated your speaking there? And, um, you know, th- this was so politically charged. And, and so what, what motivated your speaking there? And uh, how do you have the gumption to do it? Well, I've been a part of this beautiful group of Catholics, and Lee, Dr. Lee, who's really been starting this whole thing, um, who's who's not Catholic, but she's uh, um, I, she shines brightly in her her love for Christ. So we've been meeting every week or so, put batting out ideas, trying to the initial was to try to reach to the USCCB to try to get them to back off on their rhetoric that, you know, for the common good rhetoric of taking the vaccine. Um, in, in the beginning, when we didn't have a whole lot of information on the, vac- on the virus, the COVID-19 virus, there was a feeling that, you know, this vaccine, which was done emergently, was done to help many people not get sick, and especially the elderly. But as we got to hear more and more, in the beginning, I didn't want to take the vaccine because of the of the what I call dirty feet, the the RNA viruses that vaccines that are tested by the uh, aborted fetal tissue uh, stem cells, and then the J and J, which was actually developed with aborted fetal tissue. So I thought it would be hypocritical for me personally to take the vaccine uh, for those reasons. And I t- shared that with people. I said that's just my personal decision, but you have to make your own decision. Then when, as I started to hear more, and I realized that we not only data shows and the the doctors who know a whole lot, Dr. McCullough, the other physicians who know so much about this, have already shared that there's um, a treatment for the the virus. If you treat early, you can save lives. And there's prevention with hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin um, if we catch it early. The other thing that was important to understand is that very few people die from this virus. The elderly people who are um, not well, who have comorbidities. So the majority of the world will do very well. They might get sick, they'll have a little rocky road, but they'll do fine. So my feeling was not to really tell people you shouldn't take it or you should take the vaccine. My big concern or desire is to to allow and let the USCCB sort of support this this idea that we should be able to make our own decision. And if if I've read through and read the data and I make a personal decision that I don't um, want to take it for many reasons, the ones I've described, but someone else might say, no, I want to take it, I'll take that risk, um, then, then that's we should make our own decision and not be this virus vaccine is being forced on everybody. So the red flags go up for me about the why, why that is. And we hear a lot of people say the whys. I don't know why, but I think again, I think everything stems toward the annihilation of babies in the womb. And anytime that happens, the devil's going to have its hand in everything. And this vaccine, the Eucharist issue is all part of that too um i just i I believe in my heart that's where everything is 
flying and that the devil is having a heyday with everybody. I may end up not being, I'm a general surgeon by training. Um, I take care of the uninsured. I, I do free surgery for the poor. I may not get my privilege re, re-upped um, if I refuse the vaccine. And I wonder, is that really um, right? Is that really just? I, I don't think that an experimental vaccine that has, you know, so many people who survive fine without the vaccine, and now they want to push it on children. We know children don't get sick with this. And the other issue that I think is also, I'll, I'll say the word diabolical. I can say it because I'm a sister. The mask thing, covering faces so that children don't see their smiles. They don't see their friends' smiles. They're living in fear. So everybody's living in fear. So there's this almost desire for governments across the, the globe to control everyone emotionally with their fear. And I think that is not of God. We should all make our own be able to have a right and a freedom just to make it our own decision. So I'm not telling people not to take the vaccine or to take it. I think we should all make our own decision and have the freedom to make that decision. So that's why I jumped onto this. I find that truly fascinating what you said, particularly about uh, being called to a special ministry, a, a special love for life, and uh, encouraging, as, as you have so many times, uh, women to to go ahead with their pregnancies, despite all the hardships, um, you know, because for a lot of women... Um, who are in unplanned pregnancies, this can cost them their jobs. It can cost them, it definitely costs in terms of inconvenience and, and all sorts of, uh, you know, perhaps future aspirations and all sorts of things that we as pro-life activists ask women to bear the brunt of when they're choosing to give life to their child, the child that's living in their womb. And so it, it was always struck me as strange that there are pro-life activists who want to take the vaccine or and and what are they doing well obviously because we're scared for our health or because well we're going to be banned from travel we're going to be banned we might lose our jobs we might do all these things but it's an abortion tainted vaccine so in a weird way at least for me it struck me so hard that how can we as pro-life activists say to women on the one hand well yes you're going to experience all those inconveniences um, and maybe lose your job and all this stuff but we want you to value life so please don't go ahead with that abortion. But at the same time, say, well, yes, I'm going to take this abortion-tainted vaccine, but it's because otherwise I'd, I'd lose my travel rights or I'd lose my, I might lose my job or all sorts of things. It, that for me was a, a very powerful thing. And um, it's, uh, these are extremely confusing times. Uh, sister, I, I had one final question for you. There's another controversial issue uh, because we just had a, a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we were we were in the NFP month, and there's a lot of people who um, embrace NFP, but do so basically because it's like contraception that Catholics are allowed to use, um, um, and obviously there are people who also go into another area that's very controversial for Catholics because it's a teaching of the church that IVF in vitro fertilization is not permitted for Catholics. And yet we want to be pro-life. And for me always, that was the beauty of NFP because it actually has a success rate uh, that's actually greater than IVF. Um, If you would tell me your thoughts 
on that whole debate around IVF and NFP? IVF is a very, it's very unnatural. They take the, the ovum surgically, they have to go through and grab ovaries, I mean ovums, and then they take sperms and unite it in, a, in actually in a Petri dish, you know, and then they place it back in. It's not, it's, it's age related with success, but I think it's less than 50% um, in even younger ages. What does that mean? It means that no matter what, life begins when the egg and the sperm unite. Okay, that's not only our teaching, it's, it's, it's medical fact. Uh, so we're, we're, whether you do it naturally or unnaturally in a petri dish, that's a human life. So you've got, you know, more than 50% of our, of our, our little infants created unnaturally and, and then dying. Or some are being frozen to use, or they call them snowflakes. They have a cute little name to be able to sell their ovaries and their eggs. It's all evil. I'll have to say that. It's evil. Because if it's not Christ, if we're not with Christ, or this is not what Christ would do, it's, it's, not, it's the devil. And it's very difficult for people who have not been able to have children to, to be barren. But um, NFP does work with many people. They, a lot of people who don't have, can see, can't conceive it's because there's something physical in them. And NFP has taught, has been able to diagnose these conditions rather than giving Clomid or something that might have you op, help the mother ovulate. There's actually an underlying condition that can be repaired or fixed, and then they can conceive. And NF and IVF, um, we're losing our soul. Our children are being uh, killed and forgotten. And again, that's because we're just totally unaware. We're not even thinking about the unborn. And even at the most delicate little phase, and, and it's a, it's unbelievable. We just today we do. I do an abortion pill reversal ministry as well. And but we had a mother today that in our pro-life ministry, a woman who's wants to keep her baby, and we have a wonderful volunteer ultrasonographer. And just this morning, we were just looking at a almost six-week-old infant, and you see the circle of the of the um, I'm blocking with this. The infant is the diamond. They call it the diamond ring sign, and the yolk sac in the child is the is the diamond. So the child is our diamond in the rough and at little six week we were seeing the diamond in the rough and could actually see the heartbeat. I mean, it's a human being and that's what we have to keep reminding ourselves. This is human life. And we're just trying to do something that we want for ourselves with IVF. And there's, we have casualties right and left. Um, And it's, it's um, very sinful. I'm sorry to say that. But it is, and I know because it's a heartbreak for parents. Yeah. But we can only just pray. We're not here. We're not here to be, you know, the judger. But we have to be the educator. And I try to do that in my clinic when I see patients. Um, again, I'm a general surgeon, so I'm doing hernia surgeries, uh, but or um, gallbladders, things like that. But many of them are contracepting. And so I have one sister who's from Argentina who's a nursing student. So she sat down today in my clinic to explain to the sweet little patient why the progesterone implant in her arm 
is not good for her alma, which means her soul. And she, the next appointment she's making is to talk to the family doctor about NFP. So it's a constant day-to-day teaching and educating and trying to show them the love of Christ. Awesome, Sister Didi. Any final words for us? You know, our founder, Monsignor, oh, he's a blessed Greco now, said, used to say, it was before the most blessed sacrament that I found the love of Jesus and the, and the um, power of that love. So it's before the most blessed sacrament that I found the love of Jesus and the power of that love. So I encourage people when they are having difficulties and trying to um, discern what God wants them to do, to spend time before the blessed sacrament. But when I say that, be careful what you ask for. He might launch you off to doing things. You'll need a seatbelt when you go. But That's awesome, sister. Thank you so very much for joining us on this episode of the John Henry Reston Show. Thank you. Thank you. God bless all that you do. Thank you. God bless you. And God bless all of you. And we'll see you next time. Hi, this is John Henry Weston, the co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSite News. I'm coming to you today because we want to be sure that we are communicating clearly with you, our loyal followers. Things are really heating up, as I'm sure you can see. Christians, conservative truth-tellers are being targeted, are being banned from social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at an alarmingly fast rate. They are attempting to suppress any narrative that does not fit that of the mainstream media. We knew this day would come. We have been warning everyone who would listen and attempting to build up alternative platforms to continue to reach you. We have established ourselves on all sorts of platforms I'm going to explain in a minute, but the most important thing to do is come direct to lifesitenews.com because there we will always be. But we've also established ourselves on platforms like Parler and MeWe, and our videos can be found on Rumble as well. We would love to see each of you on those platforms too, as they are not censoring or suppressing the truth that we are sharing every single day. More than these alternative social media platforms, we highly encourage you to subscribe to our email newsletter. We have really built up a large list of loyal readers on our email marketing platform, and we have prepared several backup plans for, well, I want to say if, but it's really when, we are removed from our current platform as well. Additionally, I really encourage you, as I said before, to make it a regular habit to go directly to lifesitenews.com. Make it your homepage. While all of these different platforms are an excellent way to curate your news, going directly to our website means that you will never encounter any censorship or sudden loss of LifeSite News reporting. Here's the thing. We will never stop sharing the truth. We founded this organization with the mission to be the life, family, and culture source for men and women who seek to know the truth. We have established a track record of honest reports, and this will never stop, even with censorship happening around the globe. Again, I'm encouraging you to join us on Parler, MeWe, Rumble, and on our email list. You can find all the direct links in the description of this video. May God bless you and keep you, and we are so thankful that you've chosen to follow and support LifeSite News. I'm John Henry Weston, co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSite News.